A dictionary definition of the word context is the interrelated conditions in which something exists or occurs. AQMB's Artist Statement podcast is a conversation series exploring the fresh perspectives in art generated by these changing contexts politically, culturally, socially, other. It features artists and thinkers orbiting our world, where we chat in response to developments in technology, communication, and beyond. I'm Associate Editor Jared Davis, and in this episode I speak with Terry Tamlitz, a music producer, DJ, writer and public speaker whose work over three decades offers uncompromising critical examinations of media distribution, queer identity and non-essentialist transgenderism. Raised in Missouri before moving to New York in the late 1980s, Terry was a resident DJ at storied queer nightclub Sally's in the early 90s. Since then, Terry has released music, critical writing, and video via her own Comatones recordings, as well as independent labels including Germany's influential Mill Plateau. Based in Japan since the early 2000s, he also continues to perform and record under the deep house alias DJ Sprinkles. I first came to Terry's practice through her extensive archive of writing and work on Comatones.com, then in later attending a live performance of the narrative radio play Trans Sister Radio, as well as a DJ Sprinkles club set. Through all these contexts, I've been drawn to Terry's critical consideration for the modes in which her work is presented, as well as how these articulate and embody his politics. Well, I, I think that a lot of the contemporary LGBT, the kind of mainstream LGBT movement, of course, is more focused on regulation than decriminalization. And um, as a result, what you have is you have kind of, you know, it's kind of one of the problems of identity-driven civil rights movements is that they end up kind of further crystallizing the parameters of how we as culturally minor people, whether whether that's in relation to, of course, there's like the the whole... um, convolution of and layers of multiple identities people can have around mm. issues of race, gender, sexuality, class, etc. Um, but the kind of essentialist models tend to, you know, really crystallize and narrow in what it is we can be as, as uh, whatever kind of identity model they're advocating for. Um, so, for example, you know, like the contemporary model of what it is to be... Um, queer, what it is to be trans, etc. They're always ultimately following a very heteronormative paradigm. And, um, and that, I think, is like the main thing that that kind of essentialist identity politics movement has brought about. On the one hand, on the mainstream level, you have this tremendous comfort in the West around um, kind of pride-based visibility and the fact that it's getting easier to to be out, to come out, etc. But it's only easier if, if you're interested in coming out in a particular way, in a particular form of what it is to be um, queer or to be trans. Mm-hmm. And um, meanwhile, the adv- and, and it's always ultimately aligned, you know, with the heteronormative, with the desires to, it's kind of like, you know, inverting the old paradigm or the old kind of queer slogan of uh, we're here, we're queer, get used to it, which was about a kind of confrontation of uh, heteronormative morals. Uh, These days it's more like, um, you know, we're here, uh, we're just like you, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't coin that, by the way, I forget who actually said that, but it was somebody (laughs) back in the 90s already who was already talking about that. And um, yeah, so, you know, 
I think that, you know, what we have then is a real absence of um, language. Like we, we lose more and more language around how to advocate for positions of perversity, how to advocate for um, to exist in positions of tension and conflict with the mainstream, as opposed to simply trying to get the mainstream to acknowledge that that our kind of uh, culturally minor condition is in fact, you know, like a, a natural extension of the human condition and should be acknowledged simply on the basis that, hey, we couldn't help it. I didn't choose this life. I didn't, uh, you know, it, it's not a choice. It's something that just, uh, th- it's all about the, the erasure of advocacy and self, of self-advocacy in the name of advocating for an identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just think that as a result, you know, it's, it's, I would also agree that, you know, um, in, that a lot of these things, it's not a choice, but when I say it's not a choice, I'm not coming from the, you know, so much from the biological genetic side. I'm thinking, I'm thinking more in terms of, it's not a choice because mainstream societies and patriarchies are so structured or so rigidly structured that we don't have choices. And so it makes sense that, um, that, yeah, we don't feel we have a choice uh, in terms of our gender identities other than to either identify with the one that's labeled us when we're born or to feel pressured into transitioning into the opposite one because that also happens to be the most obvious and abundant model, gender model available. But there's really little space for um, true choices of variance or, or also like non-identification. And um, I think that is actually the kind of key that I was probably trying to get at back in 2013 is this concept of, of what, what are the ways that we advocate for and, um, and kind of react to a need to disassociate and to disidentify and to um, kind of unbecome um, rather than like the conventional model of like transgenderism in relation to to becoming and transitioning and transformation, what does it mean to to actually like unbecome one's masculinity or one's femininity, etc.? Um, those are the things that I think are are more um, politically necessary and interesting um, in terms of um, protecting people on the culturally minor level. I think that simply advocating for models of um, you know, kind of uh, sexual and gender variants that are simply, in the end, um, heteronormative and reconciling with the mainstream. Um, I mean, it's good enough for, for most people because most people kind of, that's about as much, uh, you know, they're, they're still tied up in the same hopes and aspirations as, as the majority. And so, but, but there are people who have had experiences and circumstances that really make that um, both a material and a psychological impossibility. And um, in that case, then you're, you're, those people are still being left out of the, the whole um, model of advocacy and rights attainment and all this sort of thing. Um, I guess I should just mention real quick, just to kind of... Um, position what I've been talking about is to think about that in, um, so that I'm not, so I don't appear to be simply coming out of nowhere. What I'm really thinking about is the ways in which the overwhelming history of 
advocating for um, protecting uh, trans and queer people and, to, and reducing violence has been a process of decriminalization. And we can see since the 1980s, when the late, especially the late 80s, when identity politics really took hold, um, that the that most of the the kind of uh, movements for decriminalization were replaced with um, movements to actually regulate. And so, for example, like same-sex marriage would be a huge example. Um, and. So that's so I just wanted to point out that, you know, like there, there is in addition to the idea of people saying, well, well, how how else can we, you know, like regulate and make sure people are protected? There's also uh, this uh, previous kind of more long, long ongoing and totally incomplete project of decriminalization that um, that has also that that for me is more more valuable and than than the idea of regulating. And so like to think in terms of decriminalization, um, it's kind of like the same thing where you see how people who were into like making, you know, making pot legal in the U S or these sorts of things. I don't know how it goes in the UK, but you know, basically it's like, instead of just decriminalizing marijuana, it becomes more like legalize it, you know, and that's a completely different argument. Um, and it results in completely different, uh, means of distribution, completely different means of who's controlling it, completely different, you know, it doesn't help the people who are already in prison because of marijuana. and st So, you know, the idea of decriminalization and legalizing something are two very different things. And so that's kind of, I just wanted to put throw that in there that that's kind of where I'm coming from in terms of the decriminalization efforts around sexuality and gender. This was just a teaser for an episode of AQMB's Artist Statement podcast, available exclusively to our subscribers. If you'd like to listen to this and other bi-monthly episodes like it in full, consider signing up to our Patreon at patreon.com slash AQMB. You'll also have free access to downloadable compendiums of new music and digital artworks, while helping support our commitment to presenting fresh perspectives around art, music, and online culture at AQMB.com. Our theme music is Coughing Up Pearls by Felicita. See you next time.